left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. Track record is important. So I would say that look at the whole team. So is that sponsor working with a property management company? If it's a sponsor that's been in the game for a while, but they just brought all property management in-house and they've been doing that just for six months, well, they have a lot of experience being a sponsor, but not a lot of experience being a property management company versus us. We're working with a property management company that's been in business for 80 years. Okay, so they we're like using their experience to operate the properties. Hey, Leftfielders, this is Julian McClurkin from Tribe Vest. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy until recently. If I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top or look up Tribe Vest on YouTube. I'll see you there. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. Hi, this is Scott Royal Smith from Royal Legal Solutions, and you're listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm really excited today to have Lee Yoder with us. He is a former physical therapist and is currently the founder of Threefold Real Estate, focusing on larger apartment building syndications in Southeast Ohio. He is also the host of the Threefold Real Estate Investing Podcast. So, Lee, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's great to have. I think I might have said Southeast Ohio. Southwest Ohio is your focus, but we will get into that. The first question I always ask is, can you just give us your journey? How did you get interested in finance, specifically real estate? And then what took you from, hey, I'm interested in the real estate to I'm going to be a real estate syndicator and buy large apartment buildings? Yeah, sure. I like telling the story, Jim, because I think it's pretty relatable. I didn't do anything special. And it was a little bit later. I mean, Still relatively young, but I went and went to college for seven years to be a physical therapist to get my doctorate in physical therapy. Came out, started doing that, enjoyed it to some degree, but I was doing outpatient therapy. So Jim, once you get off work, if you go therapy, I'll be there in the clinic. It wasn't a great schedule for my family. And that's a big part of my story is I want to design my work and my life and I want to design our work and life around our family, not the opposite if we can. So just one year in, I decided to look into doing home health physical therapy, started doing that. That was an awesome schedule because now I'm making my own schedule. My patients just come to my phone and I can schedule whenever works for me and them. So great schedule, but Jim, I just got bored really quick. It just wasn't challenging. So it wasn't exciting or fulfilling for me. Well, the company I was with, it kind of by accident, 
didn't actually do as much research as I should have. It was actually a staffing company. And I came on as a contract PT with them. But I ended up coming to the office, becoming the clinical director. Pretty soon I was doing no physical therapy. And I was more like a director of operations. And I was loving that. This was a startup company. It's an awesome startup staffing company. It's now blown up like a $2 billion company. But I was there in the early days. And so I was helping them build a division. And so now I'm getting an idea, not doing any physical therapy, not missing it at all, really enjoying the business and building and like feeling like kind of this entrepreneurial startup journey. And so I was just starting then to realize, man, I think God created me for something different. I don't think maybe I wasted those seven years of going to college. It's going to be something else. As I was climbing the corporate ladder, doing this stuff and enjoying a lot of it, it felt like, well, I don't want to just be an employee either. Like, I feel like there's something a little bit different. So start kind of going down the rabbit hole, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like so many people. And the light went off for me. And it wasn't just real estate, although it was real estate. My dad's in construction. I did construction in the summers during college. And so for some reason, but it was really about like getting out and doing my own thing. I feel like that's what Robert Kiyosaki does is he's just like, hey, there's this whole other game that nobody taught you, but the wealthy people play it. And if you want to play a different game, then here's what it looks like. And, and that just spoke to me. So I started thinking a lot about that. And what I ended up deciding to do, Jim, was I left this corporate job. I took about a 30% pay cut, went back to doing home health physical therapy, which if you remember, I wasn't passionate about, wasn't a long-term thing for me, but I knew with that, I would have the flexibility and the capacity to do real estate on the side and start a real estate side hustle. So switch jobs back to PT at the end of 2016. By the end of 2017, we got a flip. 2018, we did a duplex. 2019, we bought a 16 unit, a 10 unit, and an eight unit. 2020 sold all three of those because the market went straight up for us. So we were able to make a bunch and kind of give us this huge kind of cushion runway. So at the end of 2020, I quit my W-2 and in 2021 started syndicating mid to bigger size apartment buildings full time. That's great. That's a great story. And I think of that, you spent seven years in college. So did I, but I didn't get a doctorate. So that's a different story. But talk a little bit more about just the courage it takes to, you put seven years into something Mm-hmm. And you get the job and it's not exactly what you thought it was. And then how do you get the courage to be like, I'm done. I'm going to leave what I trained for and go do something else. I don't even know if I'm good at, right? I mean, yeah, you flipped a home and you did some small stuff, but I mean, that's just a huge risk. And I think it's great that you did it, but can you just talk about your thought process there and how you figured out, yep, I'm going to make the leap? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's not for everybody. I am a risk taker, Jim. My wife is not. So we have both sides and that was a journey that God took us through and coming together in that. But I'm a risk taker for one, so I'll just say that. But then the way I looked at it, Jim, yes, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. Yeah, and I did start into it. And again, that's what I would encourage people to do. And a buddy of mine encouraged me, he goes, how can you get more flexible in your job? How can you get more work where you can jump into real estate but on the side and try out? So that was very helpful to start building some momentum, to build some confidence. Other thing that was really helpful is a network. I mean, that's what it's all about for you guys at Left Field, right? And that's more on the passive side. But for me, just being around other people, doing it, listening to podcasts like yours, Jim, just you gain confidence because you see other people who took a similar path, did what you did. It's just they've been doing it for six or eight years longer. And so there's six or eight steps beyond you. And so I just felt like, well, if I keep doing this, I'll get there too. And then the final thing I'll say, Jim, is like, what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario was it doesn't work. Maybe I bought a few multifamilies, so I own those, but it's not really 
what I thought it would be. The cash flow is not there. And I have to go back and be a PT. I can always do that. I can still do that. I still have my PT license. So I think sometimes people mix mess that part up where their worst case scenario is actually much worse than a true worst case scenario. I mean, worst case scenario is I could die tomorrow, but decent percentage of it happening. Maybe this doesn't work out. And I go back to being a PT. I'm no worse for it. I own some buildings at least, and they're going to appreciate and we're going to pay down debt and all that. So I think that's helpful is to really think about what the worst case scenario is. For most people, it's probably just you go back to the job that you were doing before. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective. And I also would say that I think being in a specialized field like PT, I think it has a little bit more flexibility because you could go back. It's not likely you lose your status or your space or something. You might have to do a little bit of a training, but I think it's great that you took the courage and did it. And that's what a lot of left field investors were doing in a different way because they're passive investors who are trying to get income so they can make the W-2 optional or quit it entirely. And so I think looking at people like you who've done that, although not exactly the same because you're going into active, I think it's helpful for our community to, to see that. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And I think doing it active and doing it kind of as a job, it did allow me to quit my W-2 quicker, but a lot more risk there, a lot more time. And so if what I share with you, Jim, the main thing for me was I wasn't passionate about being a physical therapist. I didn't like doing that. And I became really passionate about doing real estate actively. But most people out there are not in that situation. Most people enjoy their job to some degree. And yeah, would like to have more freedom, just maybe a little bit more than not to have to grind so hard. Yeah, that's where passive investing comes in, where you don't have to take a huge risk. Like I said, I'm a risk taker and I wanted to do it full time. Most people don't. So you just take a little bit of a risk. And so the reward's going to be a little bit better, but you keep your job, you take a little bit of risk and you start building that up. And then like you said, Jim, now suddenly maybe you have some extra money for sending your kids to private school. Maybe you have some extra money for some game changing vacations for the family. Maybe mom or dad can work part time and it can do so much for you even passively. Yeah. And then so when you got into really got into real estate, and really got into syndicating, I know you have a coach now. Is it a real estate specific coach or is it more of a run a business coach? Can you talk about that? And also, how do you find someone like that? And how do you make the decision? Usually there's a significant cost, right? And it's always at a point where you're just a startup, right? So every penny matters a lot more than it probably will in five or 10 years when you're more established. So how did you make that decision? And how did you decide that, yeah, this cost is worth it? Yeah, that's a great point, Jim, because that's how I felt early on was like, I'm not making money at this. So I'm not going to dish a bunch of money out. I would start at your local RIA. In Cincinnati, we have a great RIA, Real Estate Investment Association. And there was a guy leading an apartment focus group. He became my first mentor and he was free. Well, the RIA costs $275 per year, I think is the total cost. They have meetings every week. I mean, multiple meetings every week. This apartment focus group was every month. The guy leading that ended up being like my first mentor. I didn't pay him anything extra. He was just teaching us during that focus group how to underwrite properties. I ended up giving him 10% of my first deal because he had helped me so much and I wanted him to continue helping me. So I did end up paying him, but not until I made a bunch of money too when we sold the property. So I was happy to do so. So that's where I would start. I mean, that's where I send everybody that wants to start and like really interested as a passive investor. Very affordable compared to so many other options. Yeah, and then I got into a mastermind with my coach today. He led a mastermind that was pretty affordable, much less than most of the coaching programs out there that I was looking at. And then now he's all the above for me. He is an apartment syndicator. So he's teaching me the multifamily business and buying and underwriting and that, but it's also like he's built a business around it and that's what I want to do. So he's my mentor coach and kind of all the above for me. Uh, that's great. I think you're fortunate to find somebody, but it's not like that person just ended up on uh, ringing your doorbell and saying, hey, can I help you, right? I mean, you have to actively go out 
and put yourself in places where you can run into these people at a Rio or a conference or something. So it is, and that's what Left Field Investors is, right? It's a network and it really is important to have a quality network. So one of the things I've heard you say is people should invest in apartments passively and it might be a better option for most people to do it passively than to own and operate. Can you talk about why passive is such a good option, especially for most W-2 workers? Yeah, what I'll say, Jim, is if you are the one buying the property, which means you're getting the loan, you're finding the property, you're getting the loan, you're signing on the loan, and even if you install a property management company, they're calling you with big issues. I just want to make you will not be passive. That doesn't matter how easy it is. And you were on my podcast, Jim. I appreciate you coming on. And you had a lot of color around this and a story around this, but you're never going to be passive. There's always going to be stuff to do. There's always going to be headache. And a lot of people get into real estate that way and then realize like, I don't want another job. Again, for me, I did. I did want another job. I wanted to do real estate full-time. I love it. I want to keep doing it full-time. Most people do not. Most people either have a job they like, or they're trying to get out of their job and, and kind of retire or whatever and not have a job. They don't want another job. So if you don't want another job, don't go buy properties yourself. Let somebody else do all that. And then use a group like Left Field Investors to find out which guys and girls are doing it really, really well. And just give them your hard-earned money so that they can make money on your money. Let your money work for you. Don't find another way to trade your time for money. And so I just think real estate investing is maybe the, the best passive investment people can make when compared to the stock market or anything like that. Because when you get into a syndication, for instance, of an apartment building, you're going to get paid now. There might be some delay, but you should be getting distributions monthly or quarterly. And so you're making extra money today. So again, back to my example, dad or mom does that. Maybe they can pull back to part-time. Maybe they can send their kids to private school, whereas their income alone doesn't allow them to do that. So it pays you today, but you're also still building that nest egg. You're gaining equity through that investment. And someday either there's going to be a big payday and you can do that and you can keep doing it again and again. And you're building up wealth for your family for down the road, but you're also getting paid today. So it can change your life today and probably minimal when you get started, but meaningful ways. And it's going to change your life in huge ways down the road if you keep reinvesting and building a massive nest egg, but also something that's going to spit off income in a big way in the future. That's really well said. I think we did talk about this on your podcast. So if you want to check that out, go to the Threefold Real Estate Investing Podcast. But what you said is it's active, right? Even if you call it passive, if you own real estate that isn't through a syndication where someone else is doing all the work, I called it passive for years. But you know what? It was active because I was working in it all the time. And yeah, I did not like it. So Southwest Ohio, that's where you are now. Everyone knows all the great deals are in Phoenix, Dallas, Houston. There might be a few in Alabama. There's some in Atlanta, Southwest Ohio. Talk to me about that. I don't even know. What, I'm from Ohio. What towns are in Southwest Ohio and why are you buying stuff there? Come on, the Cincinnati Bengals, Jim. I mean, we oh, just yeah. Love, but we should have been in the Super Bowl, okay? <laughs> so that's where I'm at, Cincinnati, Ohio, the home of Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Then just north is a little bit smaller town called Dayton. You're right, Jim. So it's not a high growth area. I won't pretend like it is. Columbus definitely is, but probably still doesn't compete with some of the coastal cities and the hot cities and the smile states, the sunbelt states and all that. But Jim, like you said, everybody knows all the deals are in Phoenix and Austin. And I don't know if you're tracking some of the data, but there's a ton of development going on in those cities as well. So for the past couple of years, I've looked at those and I've said, yeah, I'm not going to argue with the population growth, with the job growth. I would love to have all that in Cincinnati. But everybody knows that. So like the prices reflect that. It's just like saying, why would you go buy a small company that's getting started and is going to try to compete with Amazon? Why don't you just buy Amazon? Well, 
look at the stock, look at the price, right? Look at the price to earnings ratio. I mean, there's a price that doesn't make sense anymore. And so I don't mean to bash those cities and say the syndicators that are operating there are doing the wrong thing. I'm just saying, yeah, I could go to Phoenix and pay $350,000 per unit. Maybe that makes sense. Or I can pay 60 to 100 here in Cincinnati. And that might make sense. So it's priced in is all I would say is that if you go to those cities, yeah, there's better growth, all that, but it's priced in. So you're going to pay for it. The main reason I'm here operating in Cincinnati, Jim, is because I live here. I like being able to drive to our properties. I like being very hands-on. Our property management company is based out of Cincinnati. Yeah, they manage 12 to 14,000 units and they're regional, but they're based here. I can drive into the main office. I just feel like it allows me to really operate well. I know this area. I've grown up here and all that. So we want to expand eventually, but I really like being hands-on. So that's why we invest. There's plenty to be said for the Midwest. In my opinion, Jim, if you look at the rent growth over the past six months, what cities are leading, it's none of the cities you mentioned. It's Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Des Moines. I really like some of these that, because the thing is, Jim, in this time in the market cycle, you might be better off being in the cities and the areas of the country like the Midwest that didn't shoot up so high because the ones that shoot up so high when the market turns, like it seems like it might be doing, they fall the farthest too. In the Midwest, we don't go up as high, but we also don't go down as far. Aspen Funds has been a consistent supporter of left-field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily or retail, the Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, you get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us slash LFI. With inflation on the rise, private debt may provide the short-term hedge you're looking for. Spartan Investment Group identifies low-risk investment opportunities that offer predictable returns. The numbers speak for themselves. From 2018 to 2021, they grew revenue by over 3,500%. Their private debt boasts stable monthly payments and a short repayment horizon. And since it's backed by self-storage and a personal guarantee, you can invest with confidence. To learn more, visit spartan-investors.com. Yeah, I think that's completely true. And I like finding these other markets because obviously I have a ton of investments in the smile markets and where everybody is going, right? So when I find somebody that has a focus somewhere else, I get pretty excited, especially when it's someone who is local to that location. They know the market. I think you get huge advantages. And that's one of the things when I talk to people and they're saying, well, active, if you're an active investor, you get better returns than passive. And what I say is maybe I didn't, but the reason was because I didn't have an expertise in a certain market that others did not have. And that's the difference, right? You have some expertise in that market that others don't have. So you can go there and be successful where when Phoenix runs dry, those guys aren't going to be able to just jump into Cincinnati and get going because they won't have that local expertise. Sure. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a big deal. I mean, when it comes to lending, we get local lending and they only want to lend to local people. The credit unions here, we get great financing, which really helps our returns. And they want to lend to people that are local and right there and come into the bank and meet with them. So yeah, that's one small example, but I agree with you, Jim. There's a lot of benefits. 
Yeah, well, let's dig into lending, right? Because that's the big thing right now is the reason that there aren't as many deals or some deals are in trouble is because of the instability of the cost, right? Because you don't know what your interest rate going to be. So you don't know what your interest cost is going to be. And it's hard to run a business when the costs are increasing so much. So what are you seeing as far as interest rates and how is that affecting your business currently? Yeah, the biggest effect, Jim, is just it has been a lot harder to purchase. So we actually haven't didn't take anything down the second half of 2022. Man, we saw it right. We had a front row seat into the rise in interest rates at the beginning of 2022 and what that did to banks and how they tighten up our bank that we had done. This was our third loan that we've done with them. We were at 3.875% interest. They raised us a half a percent a week before we closed and took $180,000 of our proceeds and put it over an account for a year. So we had to raise a little bit more for that deal. So just kind of seeing banks, I mean, again, like I said, this was our third loan. We were just going to do the exact same thing and all of a sudden everything changed because interest rates shot up. So that half a percent rise, Jim, on that deal, that was just a, for some people, smaller $6 million, 95 unit deal. That was $22,000 a year, just a half a percent rise in interest rates. Took $22,000 a year that we shot that we thought we were going to share with our investors. And now it's just going to the bank to pay to pay extra interest, right? And so that's just half a percent. Interest rates went up like two and a half, three and a half percent, depending on what kind of product you get. So you can imagine we're talking about $100,000, $120,000. So that's the biggest difference is now we wouldn't pay today what we paid for that property with interest rates where they are. All our other things equal, we would not pay it because we'd be making $120,000 less per year instead of just $20,000 less. We just can't do it. So our offer comes way down. Well, are sellers willing to accept that offer? In a lot of cases, no. So that's why there's not near as many deals getting done. So that's been the biggest impact. I'll say, fortunately for us, Jim, I've just not ventured into the variable rate and the bridge loans. I don't want to speak against those because I don't have an expertise there. And even my coach says there's definitely a place for those. Fortunately for us now, we didn't do that. So we got interest rates that are fixed for five years. So our worst one was that last one we did at 4.375%. Still pretty happy with that. That's fixed for five years. Our other ones are lower than that and they're fixed for five years. And then we'll need refines and sell. So we're in a good spot right now. I know others are not, but I do think interest rates are going to come down over the next year. But yeah, happy that we got the fixed rate debt and we're not in stress with our current property, but it is making it harder to purchase because it's just increasing the gap between sellers and buyers. Yeah, and I, I think uh, most operators would be thrilled to get 4.375 today. I right? would today. <laughs> I would take it today for sure, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of operators we're finding are holding distributions back or even making, I guess you call them optional but capital calls, right? A capital call used to be the death sentence, but now there's some creative capital calls that might may or may not be optional. So what should investors think of that? Operators that are needing to hold distributions or make capital calls because it's happening and they're being conservative, but should we be worried? What would you think about an operator that's uh, taking those kind of actions? Yeah, I wouldn't be worried about holding distributions, Jim. It would make me a little bit worried or just curious and hey, what's going on? But sometimes that can be the best thing to do. So if you look at, I mean, you just want transparency. I think that's the biggest thing. As long as your operator is letting you know exactly what's going on, answering any questions that you have, pulling the curtain aside and showing you everything. And then here's why. A capital call, we've never done that. I hope we never have to. That's something little things have come up and our company has just kind of stepped in for things like that. We would rather not do a capital call. If that came up personally, and I've heard other sponsors talk about this and I agree with them, I would just want to know what, what that money's going toward. If there's an issue that can can be solved with a capital call, and then you feel very good about where you'll be on the other side of the capital call. That's something I think I could get behind as a passive investor. If it's just 
we're bleeding money, so we need the capital call to make our next few mortgage payments, and then we'll see where we're at after that. that I would have trouble with that. That feels like throwing good money after bad, unfortunately. So I would want to know the plan. I think it's just critical to communicate. So we're trying to do even more of that, uh, just because even if we're not doing capital, even if we're not withholding distributions, people are just a little more worried because things are more unclear and, and people have lost 20% in the stock market and it just doesn't feel as good, right? So I would just want good communication, good transparency. And if you feel like, hey, times, look, no one, Fed, government, economists, no one thought interest rates would double, okay? So again, I don't totally fault some of the people that are in some of these loans that are difficult. Now, if you didn't have a rate cap and things like that, sure, there's some mistakes that were made. But for some people, maybe withholding distributions or even a capital call can be the right thing to do to get through a difficult time. But I would want to know that there's a good plan that I feel good about on the other side of that, personally. Yeah, I think that's great advice because you mentioned it, right? There's really two scenarios. One, everything is running to pro forma. The operations are fine. Everything's great, except your interest expense went from X to 3X. That's the problem, right? So if the capital call is to fill that gap and the property's operating okay, all right, then maybe that's okay. But if it's already not performing to pro forma and they're doing a capital call and blaming it on interest rates, that's where you, okay, I don't want to participate in that one. That's where you have a problem. So how does an investor figure out what questions should we ask um, an operator who may be going for a capital call? And then also what questions should we ask for our current investments to make sure that they are looking at everything and really understanding the new environment? Yeah, those are the right questions, Jim. On the capital call side or withholding distributions, I would just want to see the income. I would want to compare it to the budget. You mentioned the pro forma. So, hey, you guys said we were going to be able to do this. Go back to that. Are we hitting that? Hey, we're not hitting the rents that you said we would. Again, that's the second scenario that you laid out, Jim. If it's Hey, we're hitting the pro forma rent. So it means they're achieving the rents that they thought they would. But, you know, exit. And hey, our expenses are right in line. So I want to look at income and expenses. That all looks good. That's right where you said it was going to be. It's just this line item down here, this interest expense that went nuts on us. And the plan is because we're hitting pro forma, because we're doing well, we're going to wait till the end of this year and we're going to refinance because we already have a lot of equity. Although, you know what I mean? Like if there's a plan, everything looks good except that interest expense, then that's when I would feel good. So those are the questions I'd be asking. How are we doing? with income compared to what you guys projected. Is that trending in the right direction too? I would look like, hey, maybe it looked good. I mean, almost all trailing 12 months, almost all P&Ls looked really good the last year. So I would want to see how we're doing the past few months. That's important too. But if that's all looking good and it's just that interest expense, I'd feel okay. As far as going forward, Jim, that's the right question is, how are you going to handle this? Because, hey, we didn't know it was going to happen, but now it has happened. So Interest rates could still go up. Fed says they're not done. What things are you doing to be prepared? I would want to see, again, if you're doing the variable rates, I would want to see a cap. like Because then you know your worst case scenario. That's the thing. I want to know my worst case scenario. If you get fixed rate debt, you know your worst case scenario. It's fixed. It's fixed for five years. The worst case scenario is in five years, you go get an interest rate and it might be higher. But you want to know your worst case scenario. I just would want to see a lot of reserves, Jim. We've learned that deal by deal. It's something that I'm even better at today than when we first started syndicating, where it just feels like you can never have too much reserves. Now it hurts your return. So that's why syndicators may not want to do it, but you're going to be happier if you take a 15% IRR deal over a 16% IRR deal when that investor has a couple hundred thousand more in reserves. Just I'm confident that that's the syndicator you want to go with because if he didn't hold a couple hundred thousand more in reserves than the other guy, he would have a 16% IRR. So I would choose some security and some guys and girls that have the forethought to put more money away and more things in place, pay for the rate caps and things like that. Because again, now you have a better idea of your worst case scenario and it's looking better than the risk of 
hey, might be higher return, but might be a worst case scenario. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think part of it is the expectations. The last 10 years, people are making money hand over fist and they forget that it can't always go up. And I try to remind people that are in our community investing in real estate, like let's say we're investing in 10 deals this year. Chances are one of them's not going to perform to pro forma at least. And now in this economy, maybe two. So it's not just up forever like it used to be. And if you don't believe me, if you still have money in the stock market, go look at that and how happy are you with that? So I think like I don't want to accept a non-performing asset or an operator who didn't do a very good job. But if they got hit by a surprise, like a pandemic, like interest rates tripling or doubling in a six months, well, then as long as their operation is still going to plan as much as it can be, then I have a little bit more forgiveness there, I think, yep, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, I'm right with you, Jim. Yeah, things are going to happen. I mean, a lot of people will say when they're vetting a sponsor, they want to know, tell me about a time things didn't go well because you can learn a lot about somebody. And I'll go back to what I was saying, Jim, just the communication. And that's where left field investors comes in too. Is like, you might have someone that invested with somebody and they might say, look, they did withhold distributions for a couple quarters, but man, they were upfront about it. They communicated it to us. They let us know why. And you almost gain more respect from people for people when you do go through a hard time and they handle it so well, because like you just said, Jim, there's going to be hard times. Like we found that out. Things don't go up forever. There's going to be hard times. So you do want to know that when a sponsor goes through a difficult time, they're going to handle it well. They're going to communicate. They're going to be transparent. So yeah, because it's going to happen. Like you said, not everything's going to perform. Even the best sponsors are going to have deals that go sideways a little bit, but are they have good integrity around that? Did they communicate well? Do they fight through it, get through it? I would gain even more confidence if they did. Yeah, and you talk about vetting sponsors and that question is great. Like, tell me about a time when a deal didn't go well. You know, over the last five, 10 years, people are racking their brains like, well, I haven't had that. But now, at least this situation, in the next couple of years, we're gonna be able to ask people that question. They'll all have a good answer, right? So- That's exactly right, yep. Talk a little bit about vetting a sponsor. Aside from that one question, which I love, how do we vet a sponsor? How do we know, okay, Lee is the right guy to invest with. And especially given that you're newer, I'm always looking for someone with experience, but I also don't want to miss on the new guy or gal coming up, right? So how do we as left field investors or as passive investors analyze or vet a sponsor? And then how do we vet someone like you who's newer to the game? Yeah. Jim, I would say track record is big. And that's where, yeah, somebody newer to the game doesn't have the same track record. So I'll say that as a newer sponsor, I would still say track record is important. So I would say that look at the whole team. So is that sponsor working with a property management company? If it's a sponsor that's been in the game for a while, but they just brought all property management in-house and they've been doing that just for six months, well, they have a lot of experience being a sponsor, but not a lot of experience being a property management company versus us. We're working with a property management company that's been in business for 80 years. Okay, so they were like using their experience to operate the property. So look at the whole team, I would say. And then Jim, to me, it's all about referrals. And that's where a group left field investors is so important. That's why I joined the group. Because if I'm going to invest with other sponsors, which I want to, not quite there yet, but I really want to do that. I want to diversify through passive investments and other asset classes in real estate. And I will never know what it's like to invest with a sponsor that I've never invested with, right? That's impossible. But with a group like Left Field Investors, odds are somebody else in the LFI group has invested with that sponsor, so they do know what it's like. To me, the best thing to do is talk to that person because if you call me up, yes, I would gladly give you some referrals, but yeah, it's not going to be totally blind. Honestly, I don't think I have any referrals that would say bad things about me. I don't think anybody's worked with that would say bad things, but I'll give you a couple people that I've given to others before that are very willing to talk. They've said it's okay. And they have pretty good things to say about me. They might be some of the ones that like me the most. So that's who I'll give to you. But if you 
find somebody in left field that's invested with me and you just ask them without going through me, it might be an even more candid take on it. So it's all about referrals, Jim. And, and I think if you get them organically through a group like left field, I don't think there's anything that can beat that. I think that's your best way to vet a sponsor. Yeah, that's exactly what we kind of landed on. And I think we've talked about this before, how my journey was really not doing a good job, not even vetting sponsors, just like, here's my money to where I started to vet them in not a very good way. And now, yeah, we just use our community. And and that is so powerful because trust transfers, right? So if I trust you and you trust somebody else, then at least I feel like, okay, maybe I can trust that other person because I have a relationship with Lee. And that's how business is done. And it is so true in real estate and picking a sponsor because these are such long-term, illiquid deals out of our control. And there's no way to know if it's going to be a good deal. You got to wait until it's done, right? So that's the key. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. The, the power of the community, Jim, is so important when you're passive because you are giving up control, right? For me, I mean, doing it actively, I'm kind of just trusting myself. But when you're doing it passively, you are giving up control. So you do need to take some of that control back in the beginning. And that comes through your vetting process. And you just can't do a better job than being in a community that's likely invested with that sponsor before. That's well said. So the last question I always ask on the podcast is, what is a great podcast that you'd like to listen to? We are not going to count threefold real estate investing because that is already in the show notes and we know that's a great one. So give us another good one to listen to. Yeah, Jim, I am a junkie for like macroeconomics. So Macro Voices by Eric Townsend and Patrick Ceresna, that's the one I'll give. They just have some of the best macroeconomists on hedge fund managers. And I like getting my news from those guys. If you're managing billions of dollars, I trust what you say about what the Fed might do and what's going on. And so that's kind of a passion of mine. It is does pertain to my business, obviously. But yeah, that's a great podcast. There's others like it where you can follow kind of the macroeconomic trends and what's going on in the country, but also the world. That's awesome. I have not heard of that one. So I definitely will check that out because I'm a podcast junkie. So that's going to the top of my listen list. So thank you very much for that. So if listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, Jim, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Like I said, I'm part of the Left Field Investors Group. So you jump on over there on your website, Jim, you're going to find me there and love to come out to the conference. So looking forward to the next one. But I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And then just check out our website. That's threefoldrei.com. Thought out T-H-R-E-E-F-O-L-D-R-E-I as in realestateinvesting.com. We got a bunch of stuff over there, but yeah, you can connect with us there. Excellent. We'll put that in the show notes and we'll also put a link to your LinkedIn profile as well. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was fantastic. Learned a lot. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Well, pleasure was all mine. Hi, this is Zach Hapenstall, CEO and co-founder of Rise 48 Equity. At Rise 48, we've successfully purchased 38 different properties worth over $1.5 billion worth of real estate and gone full cycle and sold 11 different properties, drastically exceeding projections for our investors. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona or Dallas, Texas markets, then we're the group for you. To learn more about investing with us, visit our website at rise48equity.com and set up a call with me. Thank you. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably already thinking about ways to generate income passively and to reduce your tax burden. But did you know that you can retain more of your W-2 income by investing in oil and gas? As you might know, my income is generally passive. But if you're a high wage earner who still gets a large portion of your income from a W-2 job, this investment opportunity could help you hold on to more of your hard-earned money, which means you have the chance to make more passive investments. Billy Keels and the team at First Generation Capital Partners are experienced with investing in this sector, and they have a free 
free download available for our listeners who want to learn more. To find out just how much you could save by investing in oil and gas, head to firstgencp.com slash LFI pay less tax and download your free guide. Lots of good stuff with that conversation with Lee. I always find it interesting when people, he would spend seven years in educating himself to become a a physical therapist, which I think is fantastic. But when he found out it wasn't fulfilling and it wasn't fitting into the life that he wanted for his family, where he wanted to be family focused, he looked for other options. And he has a great fallback. I don't think he's going to need it, but he's got it. And I just think it takes such courage. And I admire that. Well, I put seven years into this. There's no way I can switch. I have to stick it out. And then they're miserable, right? So he found something that he loves to do. You can hear it in his voice. You can hear the passion that he has. And so he's on his way. And I think that's fantastic. And he mentioned, and I thought it was really interesting the way he said it. It's a whole different game that the wealthy people are playing. And when he realized that, he wanted to get in that game. And that doesn't mean we're all out here just to make as much money as we can and go crazy with it. It just means that we're trying to build wealth for our family so we can have the kind of lifestyle and time freedom or financial freedom, whatever that means to you that we can have. But realizing that wealthy people are playing a different game makes a huge difference because then you can figure out, okay, how do I get into that game? And then you can start playing that game as well. We had a little bit of a conversation about active investing, right? And how I was, I was thinking it was passive. And active investing is a job, no matter what you call it. You can call it passive investing, but it's a job if you own the property. So that's just something to think about. And that's why I'm super happy to be a passive investor and know people like Lee who can manage the properties and I can just invest in them. That's the approach I prefer. And then Southwest Ohio. I know Cincinnati, Dayton, those those are great towns. I owned a property in Dayton a while back. And I just think it is crucial to have local expertise like that. Everyone's in the same smile states because of population growth and all that. But Lee made some pretty good points about why you might want to have some investments in these targeted areas where experts are living and and doing their thing, right? It doesn't always have to be those same smile states. So whenever I find somebody doing something a little bit different in a different spot, I'm interested and I'm going to look into it. And that's the thing with Lee. And then he mentioned it also when you're talking about distributions, holding distributions, capital calls, talking about vetting sponsors, all of that. There's one thing that is important above all else, I believe, and that's communication. Because if the sponsor is not communicating with you, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to know what's going on. So communication, even if there's bad news, as long as they bring it out and share it with you in a comprehensive manner and do it often and let you know, even in the bad times, here's what's coming, makes all the difference in the world. So I thought that was a great focus that he has. So really appreciated Lee being on, starting out. So I'm definitely going to watch him and see what he's doing and that we appreciate him. So that's it for this time. We'll see you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.